Father, this morning, we once again want to thank you for the gift of life, Lord. Your life. Our life stinks. It's dead, putrefying, shut in the grave. But your life is what you came to give us. And that life is for those who are dead. You said the dead shall hear your voice. Yes, Lord. The graves will be opened. Even today, Father, I pray those who have consecrated themselves at the altar this morning, they will hear your voice. It's a new day for them. Your mercies are new. Your grace is fresh. And your word will be alive. Speak to us, Lord. Here, around the world, as people tune in, speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We go to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. We crossed the Jordan. (laughs) I hope we have crossed the Jordan. And... uh, there are different things which God asked them to do, remember, while crossing the Jordan. That was the first thing he tells us. First remember, the crossing of the Red Sea and the crossing of Jordan are not the same. Are not the same. And the people who crossed also are not the same. Though outwardly they may look of the same stock, Israel, Hebrew, but they are not of the same caliber or metal. Caliber for young students sitting over is usually connected with guns. Metal is not M-A-T-A-L. It is M-E-T-T-L-E. Okay, if you think it's metal, you will think it's aluminum and bronze and all. Okay, because young students are sitting here. Pastor said metal, so I am not of that metal. Don't write that. You will end up in Daniel's statue with different metals. Okay. They are of the same stock. Okay. They are of the same stock, but they are not of the same metal. The crossing of the Red Sea and the crossing of Jordan are not the same. One set or all of them, if the children were alive then, the little ones, they all came out of Egypt and went into the wilderness. The second group is not going into the wilderness. They are coming out of the wilderness into the promised land. Okay, In between there is the wilderness. But if you look at the purpose of the wilderness did not work in the first group. It worked in the second group. In the first group, the wilderness was characterized by aimless wanderings, complaining, Grumbling and provision was solved because God is faithful. Even though we are unfaithful, he is faithful. And the problem was the provision was so easy. They didn't have to do anything. It just kept on coming. And what happens is entitlement mentality sets in. That's when complaining comes in. When you and I think we deserve certain things, when we don't deserve anything, other than hell, because the wages of sin is death. 
and every man till the day he dies wakes up and he sins. It is impossible to live a sinless life in this flesh, in this world. Only one man has lived that life, that is Jesus Christ. It is impossible to live a sin. We can only be blameless. We cannot be sinless in this life because the only way you and I can live sinless each day is by walking by faith 24-7. And you will realize it's an impossibility. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is of faith is not sin. And it is impossible. Okay, you look at it, you will realize that's not possible. How do you, how do you, how is it possible? So God asks us to be blameless. Blameless. Okay, he doesn't ask us to be perfect. One day we will be, it will be possible to be sinless because we'll be outside the realm of sin. So one group, all of them came out of Egypt, but they were in the wilderness and the purpose of the wilderness was a revelation of who we are and a revelation of who God is and learn to trust God. But it didn't work that way because if you look at their 40 years, it was full of wanderings and complaining and disciplining of God and deaths. All those deaths were useless deaths. See, if you read in that entire episode, you don't see anybody dying actually in battle for a cause. Snakes bite, you know, sin death. Then God said, okay, you will not enter. Immediately presumed they went and they died. All the deaths were in vain in the wilderness. All the deaths were in vain. Though they had provision, health, healing, covering, sandals on the feet. All that God took care of. But it was a, it was a aimless wandering. Okay. But another generation grew up in their midst. It's so, I mean, it's one of the most stunning Examples of what can God can actually do to a people who believe is what he did with the second generation. Like what he did it with Joseph. <clears throat> if any child should have failed in Jacob's family, Joseph should have failed. Because his mother is dead. His mother is dead. His father has three other wives. All the elder ones are their children. And they are all bad influences. He's not the eldest. He's the youngest. The father is busy with his own things or it is very difficult, no, father to be with one child alone. He should have been, he is actually primed to fail, but he becomes the most successful. Same thing with the second generation. They were primed to fail. Their parents were all rebels, stiff-necked people, grumbled, complained, did all kind of weird, unbelievable things they did in the desert when Moses was out on the way. But they all turned out to be unbelievably great children. So please remember, God is not a respecter of persons. So we cannot complain that our circumstances, our parents, these influences made us what we are. No, it is not. It is God. And this generation, okay, kept their eyes on God. Okay? Kept their eyes on God. And they came out powerfully. They looked at all their fathers and mothers and all. And they looked at Moses, kept their eyes on Moses. They didn't look at anybody else. They kept their eyes on Moses. So the second set of people who is going to cross Jordan is not like the first set who crossed the Red Sea. It's an incredibly... Disciplined, 
cohesive unit one man under jo- under joseph cohesive unit obedience has been forged it has been learned the reverence of god has been forged for the others the ark was just an object but for the many say keep your eyes on the ark and keep a distance they understood it all this has been established and now this group unlike the first group is being taught you will cross by faith so that good first lesson he teaches them is to wait okay they have to wait next is to follow okay follow the ark keep your eyes on the ark second keep a distance learn to honor and the fourth thing they are told to do is sanctify themselves okay sanctify themselves because god needs a set of people who are always set apart and then he needs a set of people to carry the ark they call the ark bearers okay there are ark bearers in every generation okay who will step in first and who will be the last to get out until everybody have crossed because they have counted the cost and they are willing to pay the price so they are the first to get in they are the last to get out so these parameters are all over there they cross and after that god tells two memorials he tells them to take 12 stones from the midst of the river jordan take it to around 10 miles away at gilgal make a memorial there and then where the priests actually stood he said make another memorial over there which will be covered when they step out the waters you don't see that but you will see that where they camp and god said the thing when they ask you what it is this is spirit when your children ask you what do these stones mean he said one day we crossed over god dried up the river and we crossed over tell your children so there are two markers one we can't see one we can't see is 2000 years ago jesus stood in the middle of the river river of god's wrath the river of death wages of sin he stood there and we crossed over that we cannot see because it happened 2000 years ago the blood of jesus speaks for us we cannot see then second is we have something that we see we see okay what is that the day we crossed over and symbolically it is usually we know remember and then publicly it is like the day we got baptized like there are two events in a man or a girl's life the day she met the man and fell in love or proposed he proposed or the and the day she got married two days are there the day you got saved and the day you got baptized it is impossible for it to happen simultaneously it can happen in the same day but simultaneously it is not possible okay okay now they have crossed over and once they have crossed over let us read what is happening so it was they have crossed over okay so it was when all the kings of the amorites who were on the west side of jordan and all the kings of the canaanites who were by the sea heard that the lord had dried up the waters of jordan from before the children of israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of israel when they cross over okay when they cross over the bible says 
when all the children of Amorites and the kings of Canaanites heard, two things they heard. One they heard about their God. The Lord had dried up. Second, they heard about the children of Israel. The Lord had dried up and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Two things, okay? Please understand. Whenever there is a person or a set of people, like I said, River Jordan is a different river. It's a river of death. We heard yesterday. Jesus did not say, I am the life and the resurrection. No, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. That resurrection is for only people who die. Who die. But dead people only need a resurrection. Others don't need a resurrection. This is a set of people who crossed over who are dead. Okay. And when such people cross over, the spiritual realm is awake. They know. And their spirit dries up. They know, they are scared. So you will see people who are not dead, who haven't crossed over. When they try to do things, the spirits will say, Paul, I, Jesus I know, Paul I know, he's a dead man, I know him. He's a one man who crossed over. But who are you? Who are you? Okay. Who are you? Please remember, these are principles which we understand. Okay, Because what you are going to do, see, like I said, in the wilderness, they had battles. But those battles were not for possession. Okay, You are on a journey, and there is a lot of people who try to intimidate you, stop you in your travels. Okay, They are like dacoits when you are on the road. It's a different battle. But you have been called to possess a place and there are squatters over there. Now you have to push them out and when you push them out, you possess that land. This battle is different. It is not. Though there were battles in the wilderness, Og and Shihon and all that, that battle and this battle are not the same. This is a battle for possession. So don't misunderstand the battles of your wanderings to the battles of possessing the life of Jesus Christ. And that will only begin after you have crossed the river. And once you cross the river, there is a signal in the spiritual realm. This man, this woman has crossed over. Be careful of them. Mark them out. Be careful about them. It will be, like I said, like I said Robert, many times I have told you in the past, there are only two entities who need to know our name when we are on earth. One is Jesus. Jesus should not say, I never knew you. You can do whatever you want, all good works and everything. But at the end of the day, he told a set of people, I don't know you. That's the most terrible thing that can happen. The second person who should know you, if you have to become an overcomer, the devil should know that I know that one. He or she is dangerous. Only two people. See, Modi doesn't have to know us. KZR doesn't have to know us. It's all irrelevant. See, all that we are doing unconsciously or consciously, we are preparing for a day called the Day of Judgment. That is the day that is going to reveal everything that is going to decide our lives, our eternity is all going to be decided on that day. Okay, So you need to realize everything we are doing is not even a preparation for rapture or tribulation which are on the way. It is for that day. Everything is for that day. And if you want to prepare for that day, there are two people who should know you. Should know you. One is God. God should know you. You know? Should know. When Satan came, 
to God, when angels are all gathered, Satan God. Where did he come? Oh, wandering. Okay, you came from wandering. You are that desert fellow, right? Wandering. No purpose, no aim, useless fellow, came wandering. Let me ask you this thing. Did you notice my servant Job? Consider my servant Job? There must be 10 million people or not. He didn't mention anybody. He said, did you mention this at all? He said, yeah, I know him. I know him. <laughs> you know him? Yeah. Why? Because I tried many times. It's not possible to overcome him because he is protected. I know him. So God knew Job. Satan knew Job. He said, I'm tired trying anything with him, but what's the point? You bless him all the time. You are with him. You remove the hedge and let us see what you like. So I can try it out. So this is what we are talking about. Okay. Even when Jesus came, God knew his son. And the devil also knew his God's son. In the wilderness, the devil also tested Jesus. Okay. So get this picture. Okay. There is a dread in the spiritual realm when we cross over. Okay. On this side of the Jordan, mustik, but pointless. And verse 2 says, verse 2 says, at that time. Okay? At that time. So there's something called at that time. So everything in life you need to realize there is a time. You have to trust God. Okay? You have to trust God. Okay? You have to trust God. And do what He tells you to do. See, the th this is the problem with walking by faith. We would like to walk by sight because it's very easy. I heard, I understood, or you can ask your doubt. You go to a classroom, it's all sight. Two plus two is equal to four. <laughs> okay, I understood two plus is two. Then they, for children, they'll use coins and balloons and whatever to make it easy. But I understand. And then when you're getting tired, tring, class is over, next one comes, change of subject, entertainment again. And then again, by the time you're getting tired, thing interval. See, walk of faith doesn't work like that. Okay. You don't understand because God is saying it's a battle to possess the life of my son. The life of my son, which is God's own life. So God says, at that time, first God's trust time, second trust God's direction. Okay, Ecclesiastic chapter 3 and verse 1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Okay, so though we have to redeem the time and we are running out of time, yet you cannot hurry the purposes of God cannot hurry the purposes of God. You have to trust God. They must have thought they were ready. But God knows we are not ready. Because what we are going to possess, what is going to possess is something. You cannot evaluate it. You cannot put a price tag. How can you put a price tag on God's life? The life of God. So. As we, Zoe, you know, <laughs> Zoe, she wrote yesterday, Zoe is life. Okay, that's what Zoe means, God's life. Zoe means God's life. 
how can you put a price tag on it? What all should I do, O oh Lord, to possess that life? Yes, Lord, by faith I cross the river. I think, I believe I am dead. I believe I am right. God says, you are not dead yet. You are dead, but not fully dead yet. So he sells them circumcised. At that time, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Okay? What did he say? Circumcise flint knives. Okay? They are soldiers. They already fought many battles. They got metal knives, swords, everything. But he says, no. Nothing of yours. Flint is stone. Stone is God's original creation. Iron is what man made out of what God has created. Remember in Exodus 20, we don't have to go there when God says when you make an altar, let it be, let no tools touch it. Okay, let no tool touch it. So it says circumcise, circumcise. Okay, so the first thing after they have crossed over, the first thing God tells them is circumcise. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. Okay. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul that you may love. What are we going to the other side for? To live. To live the life of God. But to live the life of God, no man can live the life of God unless he loves God with all his heart, all his mind. He will not entrust his life into any one of our hands unless we love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. That is the condition. But the problem is we cannot love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength because first thing is to love your God with your all your heart. That is the core of your being, the heart. You can love God with all your soul and not love God with all your heart. Soul is your human understanding. With your human understanding, you can love anything, anybody. But not with your heart. Heart is the center of your being, the core of your being. And to love God with all your heart, God says, what needs to be done is that it has to be circumcised. And your God will do it. God will do it. No, we are so interested in getting into the battle, but God is more interested in getting us ready for the battle. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. I told you this earlier. They say, like, I mean, I know statistics from, I forgot the actual statistics, special forces, U.S. special forces. To get an ordinary soldier to be part of the special forces, one train, one soldier, it cost the U.S. Army over five or ten million dollars to prepare him into that, to make him from this into that. It, it cost them that much to make one soldier into a battle-ready special forces. Okay? And that's what God is actually doing with us. He says, first, you all have to be volunteers. 
there are no conscripts. Conscript means forcibly. Government can put an order. Let us say war starts on three fronts, on Pakistan side, India side, and the other side, Bangladesh side. Suddenly there will be order passed by the government. Everybody under the between the age of 18 and 40, whether you are man or woman, are immediately to join the army. Report here and start training. It's called conscription. You have no way you can escape unless you have genuine medical reason. You will have to report. That's what happened in Second World War and all. Conscription, all were conscripted. You cannot say no. If you say no, you will be arrested. Okay, you cannot say no. You cannot say no. Okay. And our governments don't even give you options like the British government gave. Like if you have an, you are an anti-war, anti-violent person, then you can opt for the army medical corps. That was how Derek Prince from Cambridge became orderly in the army medical corps. Because even he had to join and he was a pacifist. So he says, can I opt for army medical corps? And that's when he, in the deserts of Arabia or rather Libya, he encountered Jesus Christ and got saved. So that's called conscription. But in God's army, there are no conscripts. There are only volunteers. So he will give you all that 11 chapters of the reasons. And the 12th chapter, he says, in the sight of God's mercies, I beg you, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Okay? That's what's happening over here. Circumcise. Go to Romans chapter 2, verses 25 to 29. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. What is the purpose of sin? One is hidden, the other is outward. The inward is circumcision, outward is obedience to God. You love God and you obey Him. Okay. One is in, inside, nobody sees. The other is outside, it is seen. This man loves God, this woman loves God, and they obey Him. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as uncircumcision? So there is a Gentile, like, remember that Gittite who followed David? What was his name? Hittite. 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 Yeah, Hittite, the Gittite. Okay. He's a Gittite. He's probably an uncircumcised man. Okay. But the, his loyalty to David is more than sometimes David's loyalty to God. Okay. So there is an inward thing. Sometimes we we need to understand sometimes people when they do outward things and we will say, How dare you do that? The reason is because God looks at the inward. See, Saul goes and offers a sacrifice and God takes the kingdom away from him. Because God looks at his inside and says, okay, he doesn't really care for me. He's all about himself. He says, take the kingdom from him because he offered a sacrifice. David goes and eats the bread which is only meant for the priest and God overlooks him. Because he says he's more priestly than the priest sitting over there. So this inward thing matters. That is what this thing. I'm not saying the outward thing you negate, but first God looks at the inward. That's what happened at Jesse's house. Samuel comes over there and he says, "Get your children ready. Tomorrow God will choose one of them. All seven outwardly are consecrated." And God says, "No, 
Because he looks in his man looks at the outside, God looks at the inside. Now don't say that okay, God looks at the inside, so outside doesn't matter. But your testimony is to man and to God. I love God, but I can't stand people. It doesn't work. There are two hinges. Love God with all your heart and love man as yourself. God looks at the heart, man looks at the outward. So you're, if you want to witness and testify to man, he'll first looks at the outside. If you're standing there with a uh, cup of rum and a cigarette and going to share the gospel, he's not going to listen to you because he may be a very devout Hindu who doesn't even eat meat. And you're telling him about the gospel. He says, sorry, I don't want your gospel. I'm satisfied with my idol. Okay, Because if this is what your God makes you do, my idol consecrates me. <laughs> okay, So be very careful. Don't run away. Because I've heard people run away with that scripture. No, it's God. God only looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the outside. Which is true. When you come to God, come as you are. But he will not keep you as you are. Okay. Will not keep you as you were. So circumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Okay. Inwardly. Jew actually means the word Judah. Okay. Actually in our traditional languages it's easily understood. It means Yehudi. Jew means Yehudi. Meaning from the tribe of Judah. The ones who actually praise God. So when the, our march, the columns had to go, God said, let Judah go first. And you would say, why should Judah go first? Because Judah means praise. And Judah was the fourth son of the woman whom Jacob did not love. And she was trying to win the heart of her husband. Three times it didn't work. And when she looked up and saw God accepted her, then she started praising God. That's the interpretation. And that's how she names him Judah. So one who is a Jew, Inwardly, circumcised is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Such a person's his praise is not from men. Praise is from God. That is the one who is actually circumcised. Okay, So we need to understand what God is actually telling us. God is telling us at that time, Joshua at that time, what did God tell them? Make flint knives for yourself. Not metal knives, flint knives. Flint, I told you, is something natural. Metal knife is a man's invention. Okay? So you need to realize, this is what I am always which we need to tell you. First, be sure you are saved. Once you, are, once you know you are saved. Look, I was saved in the year 1983. That does not mean God was ordering my steps from 1983. If God knew I was going to get uh, saved in 1983, that means he knew me even before I was formed in my mother's womb. So everything before that was factored by God that I should be the fifth child of my parents and not the first. 
Everything was factored in. So that is how you see the natural situations and circumstances coming in our lives are the flint knives God is using to cut away the flesh. There are a lot of things that are happening in our lives which will make sense only later. When you look back, you will start. At that time, it will make no sense. But those are the flint knives God is using to separate you from the flesh. Like I have told you, right? One fine morning, my father picks me up. I mean, you are just a kid, 11 year old kid. And he tells, we are going to Kerala next week. I'm going to put you in school in Kerala. I was the only kid with them. You come at around 11 or 11 and a half in the month of October, June, July, August, September, four months of the academic year is over and bring you to Kerala. And when he comes over there, he goes to Tivandrum. All my brothers are in St. Joseph's, sisters in Nirmala Bhavan convent, all are in the boarding. They come, they said, no, this year we shut the boarding. From this year onwards, we are not taking students in the boarding. So he brings me to my grandfather's house, puts me in a seventh-day school, and he leaves in a week's time. I'm the only kid in the family who's not in boarding, living with the grandparents I do not know, have to catch two buses to go to school, never traveled in a bus to school, didn't even know what a country card was, walk five kilometers and go to a Protestant school, the first kid probably in the entire khandan of our generations of Christians, the first one to go to a Protestant school. First day you go to school, the first thing they say there is chapel. And you hear hymns being sung. And a teacher comes and gives a 10-minute sermon. You know why? Because it was the flint knife used by God to cut me off. In retrospective effect, you can look back. Every one of... I, I actually believe God made the Jesuit father shut the boarding for my sake. Because the ones who actually grew up in those hostels are absolutely anti-God now. They don't want to hear anything about God. So you look back in your life with retrospective effect only, you will realize, you know what? God is using things. Okay, The enmity of Joseph's brothers, them selling him as a slave, the false accusation of Potiphar's wife, they're all flint knives being used to circumcise Joseph so that he would become a vessel of honor one day in God. Unless we see these things, Okay, the, the key thing to understanding this, see, God cannot give us understanding. If you have to understand God, anything of God, even in the future, you know what you have to do today? You have to learn to love God with all your heart today and simply obey by faith. Then you will understand. In, didn't he tell that to Martha? Didn't I tell you if you believe you will see the glory of God? So the simple thing to do is, Love God and obey. Later you will understand. Okay? Because this is what God tells in Romans 8.28, right? All things work together for the good of those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Okay? See, there is this loving God and purpose. Honestly, I know it's a very difficult statement to make. I don't know whether I'm theologically right or wrong. God cannot have a purpose for those who don't, don't love him. God has a purpose, but they will never discover it. <laughs> okay, God has a purpose, 
but they will never discover the purpose of god in this life simply because they don't love god okay and the whole thing is that oh how do i love god don't worry do you have a father do you have a mother do you have a mentor above you love them joseph didn't know god very much but he knew his father he knew his father and he loved his father shem ham and japhet are there shem when he heard what ham had done he was the one who actually walked backwards with japhet and covered his father because he loved his father and what did god say blessed is shem blessed is shem blessed is shem we need to realize okay this is and that is one thing he tells the second generation you come through you come through well you're going to cross over you're going to pass over but let me tell you one thing be careful about how you think in your mind about your fathers father mother be very careful about these things okay so we need to understand these things really matter they may they may look like simple things but these are spiritual laws these are spiritual laws which will either work for us or work against us okay work against us it's like the the holy spirit one comparison jesus used in john chapter 3 he says he's like the wind you don't know where it comes from you don't know where it is in the old days before all this motor and everything was discovered people traveled by sailboats the sailboat the issue is this the sailboats and you had oars also if you are going from east to west the wind has to be blowing from east to west you lifted the sail lifted the sail the sail filled it was very easy to go you just had to use the rudder and steer okay but you are going from east to west the wind is coming from west to east you put the sails down because now you put the sail up you will go in the opposite direction put this sail down and you start rowing okay so spiritual laws are like that god has set into motion laws it will work for you it will work against you you cannot fight it you cannot fight it it will either work for you or it will be work against you this electricity by which all this sizzling nice cool atmosphere light and my message is going around the world but if i want to goof up all i have to do is try to put my finger on the same thing which is giving us all this comforts will knock me out now the power is the same one we worked with it the other we worked against it so god says remember circumcision remember circumcision so we know all things work together for good and if you look at david um, jacob's children all things including the terrible things work together for the good of only one child who was that child joseph okay and that man stood in the river he took the flock he took it all and finally he becomes like a tree under which all of them will find shelter everybody he becomes like a big tree under which all the birds come and find shelter all his household his brothers their children everybody find shelter under him but he has to go the tough way and he has to react correctly 
It is not that you went through a good, terrible road. Everybody goes through a terrible road. But everybody do not react the right way in the terrible road. The difference is Joseph did. Therefore, God could use him to become a father to all of them, including his father and his brothers. So understand, this is the principle on which it is working. So there are two groups in the camp. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. Let us read further. Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the four skins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. The children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers. He would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So that were like people who had come out. All those who were below 20 survived. Okay, But below 20 many of them were circumcised. But those who were born in the wilderness were not circumcised. Okay, So there are two groups there. That is the circumcised and the uncircumcised. You cannot fit into the army of God with two different groups. Oh, this is the regiment of the circumcised. This is the regiment of the uncircumcised. No, there is only the regiment of the circumcised. You don't have a separate group for the uncircumcised over there. Everybody in the army of the Lord, those who go to possess the life of Jesus Christ, are the circumcised. Those who are utterly, totally, Sold out. That's what circumcision means. They are sold out for God. And when you have people who are sold out for God, in God's kingdom, numbers don't matter. Only dedication matters. Numbers don't matter. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 10. On 30-30, not 10, verse 30. 3230. How could one chase a thousand? Two put ten thousand to flight? Unless the rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them. How can? So this is a principle over here. God's battles are not dependent upon numbers. Numbers. Okay, be very careful because numbers is a big book in the Bible and it is also a game in the world in numbers. You will look at a church in a city with 20,000 people and say, wow, this must be a powerful church. On another small little gully, there may be a church with 20 people, but that must be the one which must be making all the change happen in the city. Because numbers has got nothing to do with it. The question is, are the numbers dedicated or not? Numbers is irrelevant. The question is, are these people circumcised? Because if you have one dedicated person, one can put a thousand to flee. We looked at the 30 mighty men of David and the first three. and Each one of them stood in a battle all alone. When others fled, they stood alone. And the thing is that one man with one spear killed 600 people. 
Okay, Eliezer stood there all alone until his heart clave to the sword and it refused to quit. Okay, and that's what God is looking. These are pictures in the Old Testament looking into the new covenant. He is looking for people who will refuse to quit under any pressure from outside or inside. Inside is from within the church. Outside is from the world. And he found one man. Nobody would have picked him. But God picked him up. His name is Saul of Tarsus. So it didn't matter whether the Jews outside or the Gentiles outside or whether it is Peter or James and Barnabas. That man doesn't buckle. He will stand firm till the end. So God says, that is my dedicated man. He's consecrated to me. He will not buckle under any pressure. So God will use that man literally in his generation and through his letters, subsequent generation, to build his church. But what makes that kind of a man? It is circumcision. That's what God is talking about. Turn to First Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Principles, okay? Get these principles clearly. These are things we learned years back, but a new generations. Like I will tell you, you heard a message yesterday, right? Always sitting like a pickle in jar. Do you know what that message had an effect in the persecuted underground churches? Because they identified with it. Because they had dead men and women and children standing. And they said, it spoke to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It spoke to us. It spoke to us. We understand the meaning of resurrection and life. So you need to realize, if you have not stood in the river, so many messages just pass over our head or we understand with our reasoning and our feelings. It doesn't make any. Unless you get into the river, you will not know what these things mean. Like I told you in First Corinthians 10, 11, we have to be very, very careful. Okay? I told you that on Friday. Right? All these things happened to them as examples and they were written for admonition upon whom the end of ages has to come. This Bible, these words written in this, should make more relevance to us than any generation that has passed before us because it's primarily written to the people who will stand in the last days because they will face tribulation, attacks like no man's business. It was written for us. Like it gave you the example, when you're going through a long tunnel, when you're entering the tunnel, the other side, it is like a small little speck. But as you get closer and closer, it becomes clearer. That's the way. We should be able to understand scripture and the life of Christ better than any other generation if you are in the battle. The reason is, this were written for us. So Joshua chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 was not written for most people. It was written for us. Other generations did not understand it, but we will understand it better than any generation. So God is telling there in First Samuel chapter 14 principles, okay? First chapter 14. Isn't that what I gave you? Hmm? 14, 1 through 3. Now it happened one day that nothing is happening. This man after three years blew his trumpet, all the Philistines came, all the Israelites disappeared. Now he doesn't know what to do. Okay? That these are pictures which you need to realize. A lot of people start ministry. Just jump and excitement start a ministry. Come to my church. And after some time he doesn't know what to do. Now he's sitting under a tree with 600 men. Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, 
let us go over to the Philistines' garrisons that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know Jonathan had gone. You need to realize, <laughs> this is what happened. You have a king, that's the boy's father. You have a priest. He didn't tell either one of them. He didn't tell the king. He didn't tell the priest. He says, how long will we sit here like this? Can't go to the right, Philistines. Can't go to the left, Philistines. Can't go to the front. My father blew the trumpet. They have surrounded us. Now we are just sitting there. What is going Service is going on. Regular service is going on. There is no movement. Nothing is happening on the other realm. We are so happy with our services. But on the other side, there is no... Even Satan is enjoying the services. He says, I was waiting for a service like this. And Jonathan is tired. He says, no. He tells his armor brother, let us go. Let us go. Okay. Let us go. He told his armor bearer, let us go. Okay. Yeah. 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 Let's go. Uh, let's... Uh, Let's read. Uh, did I read verse? Yeah. Yeah. Six and seven. Verse six and seven. Jonathan said to his young man who bore his armor. His name is never mentioned. You see, some names are known. Some names are never known. But the ones who are known and the ones who are not known are all in the battle. Only thing you need is dedication. You will never hear Jonathan's armor bearer's name. But he was always with Jonathan and finally he will die with Jonathan in the end. But he's there, faithful. Okay? So there are known people in the church, hidden people in the church, but God is looking for people who are dedicated and faithful and he will never blink, never retreat in the face of this thing. Okay? He says, come let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. You need to realize, they are uncircumcised. We are circumcised. The uncircumcised should not be holding us in. They have no covenant. For it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or few. This is the principle. What is to stop God from saving? If you, there are many, praise God. If there are few, praise God. It does not matter. The many is also dependent upon God. The few is also dependent upon God. Oh, I have no prayer partner. That is why I don't pray. Nonsense. You can still pray. If you read the book of Samuel, only Samuel prayed. Nobody prayed with him. And he moved mountains. A lot of these are just cop-outs, excuses. People are just making excuses because they are not willing to pay the price. Willing to the pray the price. Okay, Jonathan said, no, David said, how can I go to fight Goliath because I have nobody to bear an armor. He said, I don't want armor. I don't want a sword and a spear also. I have a sling, I will go with that. And sometimes people are, you can't, then they, like Moses, making all the excuses, then you get a dummy like Aaron to come with you, who will create all the trouble for you. 
people just make excuses the cause we don't look at that what we are looking at is that is my heart for god or not is my heart for man or not these two things you it is not enough to love god with all your heart he still cannot send you to ministry cannot send you out for you have to love man whom he died for jesus god so loved the world he sent his son to die for man so if you don't love man don't get into ministry don't get into ministry that is where the circumcision of the heart takes place in this circumcision of heart what happens is you actually learn learned you realize all the other things are taken away you learn to love god and you learn to love man who is made in god's image okay so this is the principle okay but we have to look at the background chapter 13 verses 19 to 22 13 for samuel 13 now this is the preceding chapter okay what has happened because of saul's foolishness he did all this foolishness all the philly army came unprepared people undedicated people they went to war for fame and glory blew the trumpet philistines came people all ran away people all left man also doesn't know what to do is sitting under a pomegranate tree with 600 men and what has the philistines now done to the israel there was no blacksmiths to be found throughout all the land of israel for the philistines said lest the hebrews make swords or spears but all israelites would go down to the philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare his mattock his axe his sickle and the charge for sharpening was pim for plowshares the mattocks the fox and the axes to set the point of the goats so it came on the day of battle there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any people who were with Saul and Jonathan but they were found with Saul Saul and Jonathan his son on that day of battle if you count 600 men plus Saul and Jonathan 602 people only two people have swords nobody else has swords why what did the first the philistines do philistines are people in the world are very smart don't ever think they are foolish that's why god tells us be wise as a serpent but be gentle as a dove don't be like them be smart as them what did they do very strategically that's what happened in the christian world they are planning it out very very clearly they planned it out what did they plan it out he says you see all the schools universities in the west were started to train god's servants men and women to serve god they were all primarily seminaries cambridge oxford harvard or you look at any one of them what do you call them yeah motors of go back do a google search today i will ask you next time you come did you do that pick one princeton's motto oxford's motto cambridge motto it is all got to do with the bible and god today you cannot mention god in these places how did it happen because who are these professors in these seminaries they are sharpening these people so they will be arrows in the quiver of the mighty man that was the whole idea what did they do they changed the blacksmiths so in all these places there are no hebrew blacksmiths they have philistine blacksmiths one thing the philistine blacksmith will do is that they train the people with sickle with mattock all agricultural implements 
which is useful for the Philistines. You grow your harvest, you this thing, cut it, we will take your harvest. Have you noticed? Christians around the world are working, working, working. The Philistines sitting on the top take all their money. You know why? Because they were never trained to fight. Strategies of the enemy we need to understand. This is how the enemy has strategized. What did he do? He just handled the blacksmith. You need a blacksmith. The blacksmith is the one who will do your agriculture implements, also your battle weapons. He's the one who makes the spear. He's the one who makes the sword. He's the one who makes the tip, the metal tip for your arrow. Without the metal tip of the arrow, without the sword, without the spear, you cannot fight. Even if it's an wooden javelin, it has a metal tip. You cannot fight. So what did they do? They just strategically changed the whole thing. They put all kinds of crackpots into the seminary. Okay, all of them who will start, no, change the entire Bible around. There was no Red Sea. They didn't cross the Red Sea. It was a sea of reeds. Took the miracle out. Took the baptism of the Holy Spirit out. Took the power factor out. They all started becoming very academic. So the children who came out were good for nothing. That is what they did. It is still the same thing happened. So these ones who passed out of these places became pastors. They're giving homilies and make you feel very homely. And the congregation became good for nothing. Good for nothing. They are not fighters. They won't pray. They won't fast. They won't stand in the gap. They won't get into the river. They won't lay down their lives because they're absolutely prepared for the world and not for the kingdom. The pulpits were compromised. They have nice, nice little, little clubs where I am happy, you are happy, we are happy, I am okay, you are okay, and the Philistines are ruling the world. And in the middle of it, Jonathan's have to rise. And he has to have loyal Ahama bearers. He says, you know what, how long can we sit like this? This is not what we wear. We have a covenant with God. We are circumcised people. We will not be hedged in by this thing. God is not dependent upon numbers. I am not going to ask my father. He's a compromised man. I'm not going to ask the priest to. He's another compromise. His father's name is glory has departed. Why should I go and ask him? Bring the effort. He will give me a false prophecy. I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going to ask my father. Let's go. But God is not dependent upon numbers. He can save with many. He can save with few. Until you are moved by that. Telling you. We'll all end up saved but useless. There has to be a stirring up inside. There has to be a stirring up. You have to be willing to pay the price. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. If you agree for the status quo, you will end up in heaven with status quo. This is the key. That's what is happening. And if you turn to Genesis 14, 14, okay? This is the key. Genesis 14, 14 is a very pivotal chapter in Abraham's life. When Abraham heard, what did he hear? His brother was taken captive. How, what difference does it make to you? What is it? He took the best part of the real estate and went, what difference does it make to you? What difference does it make to you? Oh, church in Iran is being persecuted. What difference does it make to you? I mean, Afghanistan is being persecuted. What difference does it make to you? Does it make any difference to you? 
Your brother has been taken captive. Does it move you? Church in Egypt is being attacked. Believers have no freedom. They are living hand to mouth, trusting God. Does it move you? Your brother has been taken captive. So what? He took his portion. He went. That is his problem. Oh, he deserved to be taken captive. He, why, who told him to go there? He didn't say that. Abraham didn't say that. Abraham didn't say that. You see, this is one thing which you need to understand the spiritual realm. This, this is a scripture in the book of Proverbs which he says, He who refreshes others will be refreshed himself. If you are seeing only yourself in the bubble, in the mirror, that's all you will see. We are so consumed by our own problems. God is not even able to help us because he says, if you want fresh inflow, there has to be an outflow. When Abraham heard it, his brother was taken captive. What did he do? He did a few things. First thing, he had 318 trained servants born in his own house. The first thing you look for is loyalty. That comes first. He had many servants, but many he had bought, and then those who were born, those who were born are loyal. The first thing you look for is loyalty. Those who were born in his own house. Second, those who were born in the house is useless unless they are trained. So you were born again in this church. The question is, have you allowed yourself to be trained? We have two kinds of people in our church. Those who were born again here and baptized here. And those who were born again outside and came into our church. The question is, if you are born in this church, were you trained? Did you allow yourself to be spiritually to be trained? Because if you are born again, you are loyal, <coughs> you have been trained, then you can be armed. Arm is the power factor. Power factor. Then God can endure that person with power. Because your loyalty is not at question. You have been allowed yourself to be trained. And that arming part is the power. Because without power, you can't do anything against the enemy. Right? It's not by your, your might or your strength. It is by my spirit, God says. The spirit has to endure with power. Right? So on that day, there were 120. Right? They were disciples. They were born. And they were trained. And now they are armed. And they stood there as one unit. So you will see, these three things are important. When Abraham heard, first you need to be a person who has heard about the sorrows and the captivity of others. And it moves you. The whole world is going into captivity, the Christian world. The others are captives. There's a difference between how you look at the Christian world, how I look at the Christian world, and how I look at the pagan world. It doesn't move me the same way. When I look at the Christian world, their captivity is different from the captivity of the pagan world. It is not the same. Okay. Along with Lot, so many people from Sodom were taken as captive, but their names are not mentioned. And Abraham was not fighting for them first. Though they got their freedom, he was primarily fighting for his own brother, Lot. So I may be an Indian, 
sitting here in India. But my heart would be more for America than for India, though I fight for India. Because the reason, they are brethren. And their nation is going down. So you need to understand these things move us or not. These things move us or not. Because if this, see these things automatically will not move. Like that's what I said. Every morning you wake up and there is an altar. When you go to the altar and you are connected, I had a call from somebody asking, how does this happen? I said, it has to be consistent. If you are not consistent, God cannot trust you. It's God, it's not that God doesn't see you, but He cannot trust you. Where does trust come from? It comes from consistency. If God sees every morning, even though you feel nothing, you are not receiving anything, but you know this is the right thing to do. You wake up and you consecrate. You wake up and you consecrate. You wake up, you consecrate. You wake up, you consecrate. You intercede. Nothing sees you, but God is watching. And one day, you will hear God call you by name. Because He says you are faithful. So the first thing God is looking for is for faithfulness to be established. What is faithfulness? Doing the same right thing over and over at the set time. Doing it. And God says, I can count you faithful. You do two days, God didn't speak to me. God can't speak to you. Because what is he entrusting? In the beginning of his ministry, the Bible says, Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to anybody because he knew all men. By the end of his ministry, he's telling them, I call you no longer servants, I call you my friends, because he could trust them. Eleven of them can be trusted with his life, with his mission, with his power, with his authority. So get this picture. So don't read these things casually. So first, there is loyalty. People are born in the house. Two, those who are born in the house, those who are willing to be trained, and those who are willing to be trained, they are Armed. And then in verse 15, not only are they armed, verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them. 318 people against four armies. So you need strategy. You need strategy. You just don't do things randomly. You need strategy. How am I going to fight this battle? What is the time I can pick this battle? The problem is, you should pick the time of light in this case. They can see the numbers. And they see you and they will beat you up like crazy. So he picked at a time when the enemy cannot see you. They cannot see you. That's what Gideon also did. He got children. Pick a time and they cannot see you. So they see the lights and they hear the trumpet. They think three great armies have come and they kill each other. So you have to have strategy when you fight the powers of darkness. You need to be loyal. You need to be trained. You need to be armed. And you have to use strategy that defeats the enemy because the enemy is much more in number and power than you. But what you have is the power of God and the strategy of God. That is why we say things like we cause confusion in the ranks of the enemy. We speak blindness in the ranks of the enemy that they will fall by their own sword. Why do we, you need to understand why do we use certain things from the Bible because it is part of strategy. How to fight these battles with beings who are supernatural, who have more power than you, but you haven't endured with the power of God alone is not enough. You have to use strategy. This is how you fight the battle. You fight the battle. Okay. So you need to realize what God is talking about here. 
What circumcision mean? And what uncircumcision mean? What is circumcision? What is circumcision? Let's go to 1 Samuel 14 again and let's finish it up. 13 to 14. And Jonathan climbed upon his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. They fell before Jonathan and he came after him. The armor bearer killed them. The first slaughter with Jonathan and his armor bearer was made about 20 men within half an acre of land. Did you see that? The side of a hill. We'll leave in between. They make the statements. This is how we will know God is on our side and all that. But they are climbing up. Okay. Only Jonathan has a sword. But the armor bearer is behind him. I believe when the first Philistine is killed, the armor bearer picks his sword. Now there are two swords. Two swords. And the first slaughter, Jonathan and his armor bearer were 20 men within half an acre of land. Think in terms of it. Half an acre of land. Two men in one small little colony brought 20 men to the Lord. Half. You were in a college or a school for these many years and you had the witness of God. You knew your purpose. You studied well. That's part of your purpose. But you also knew. And by the time you left, in that little half acre of land, you brought 20 of your friends to the kingdom. That's the battle we are fighting. It's the question we ask. Did you manage? Don't look at the restrictions because I worked in under restriction where I had to give in undertaking no proselytizing. But I baptized my students also. You need to know your purpose. What, I, what am I here for? The fact that you work, which you should do well, and you get a salary are, are on the side. The real purpose is that if you're going somewhere to, to only to make money, then you are serving mammon. You're not serving God. <laughs> of course your company will give you a good salary. Your school will give you a good certificate. But that is not the whole purpose. The whole purpose. The whole purpose is to serve God. Do you know God can serve, educate you anywhere with the best education possible? According to the purpose he has for you. The, most people are wandering aimlessly because they don't know purpose. And they don't know purpose because they won't surrender. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Then do not be conformed to this world. And by, by the renewing of your mind, you will know what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. So to know this, you have other parameters you have to cross, right? Joseph is a man, understood God's purpose through a two dreams, surrendered himself to so much abuse, thrown into prison, and God immediately sends two teachers to him. First he sends him to a school, which is called the king's prison. Then comes the cupbearer and the butler, two people from the palace. You see, the palace language is different. It is not the same. The palace language is different. The palace etiquette is different. The palace administration is different. So he's already learned administration in Potiphar's house. Now he's going to learn everything from very good tutors in the prison. By the time he's elevated, he's ready. He's got private tuitions from God in a very restricted place. He didn't have to pay fees. 13 years of academic excellence in Potiphar's house, the king's guard's home, 
chief of king's guard and in the king's prison by all selected prisoners sent to teach Joseph. And by the time he's ready, he's ready. Hmm. He didn't have to pay one rupee his fees. Because he knew his purpose. We don't know purpose. We don't have an acre of land. <laughs> acre of land. I've told you this testimony, remember? <clears throat> when I finally left that, you know, I had a very nice class. I had a very nice class. I was the, you know, you have class teacher. I was a very nice class. And um, I used to indirectly teach the students. So I used to tell them, you know, because it's all entitled mentality, because it's government run and they have every facility. And I say, you know what? You, you, you kids are so entitled mentality. Receiving, 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 growing fat. I said, you have to be very careful the words you use. He said, there's a very great saying like this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I always say, one great man once said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And they said, ah, sorry. Yes, I said, so we will start up. We'll do something from our class for the college. They said, I said, do you see your principal? Yeah, because no cell phones, nothing those days, okay? He says, every time he's outside, there is a call in the office. He has to run to the office. He needs a wireless phone. We will be the class who will surprise him with a gift because it's more blessed to give than to receive. So here is a box with a little hole. You class uh, captain is in charge of the box, has the first seed. I am putting 500 rupees into it. You all keep putting it as you please. They were all excited. They were all excited because it was something absolutely new for them in the class. So they all started putting. At the end of a season, we said, let's open it and see if it's enough. I said, it's enough. I said, okay, say, one of you go, get it and pack it nicely and come. So every day you have, every day, five days a week, okay? You have six days a week. Five days, one lecturer will speak in the assembly. And the sixth day, one school captain will speak. So the day the school, the class captain has to speak, I said, this is what you have to speak. So this guy, who is a Buddhist, goes there with this packet inside his uniform and says... This is what a great man has said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We are very grateful as a nation because we have been receiving from our king, from our government, from our college. But today we want to make a difference as a representative of our king here who is our principal, who has been such a blessing to us. We want to bless him in return. And therefore we as a class have given this gift to the principal and wrapped. And the principal was standing there with his mouth open. And then he came, he didn't open it. He said this thing, then he went to the open, this thing and open. Then he called me and said, sir, this must be you. <laughs> I'm very grateful, sir. Nobody ever thought about anything like this. Do you know how you can put God's laws into practice in restricted environments without naming him? Without naming him. Because what are you trying to do? You are trying to train people in the laws of God. Okay. Finally, I was leaving. I put my papers in. I had to come back on the last day when I had to speak. When I had to speak, I spoke to them and said, I want to thank all of you. Okay. And this thing. And finally, I said, another great man was there. He was a priest. 
And when God had a set of people, he told this priest, this is how you need to bless your people. So today, as God's priest, I'm going to bless all of you. And I read from the book of Numbers, the Lord bless you. The Aaronic priest, this thing. In that situation, and there were 500 plus students and all the lecturers and the pr principals standing there and receiving the blessing. And after the meeting was over, everybody wanted to know, who is that priest? I said, Aaron. Go find it. His name is Aaron. And he was God's priest. So you need to realize, unless your heart is for God, and heart is God for people, God will open ways. See, it doesn't matter how many ways the devil shuts, God will always open a way for you. And that is Jonathan saying, we are not going to sit like this. We are not going to sit like this. Okay, every way seems to be blocked. We will go on our hands and feet and climb and go over. And half an acre, 20 men taken. You know why? Because he was a dedicated person. That is what circumcision is. It's a circumcision that is outward. And there is a circumcision that is inward. And it's the inward circumcision that matters. And that is where surrender. If you constantly surrender, the Spirit of God will use flint knives to consecrate you. And at the end of it, you will, you will act like I said, if you look at Paul, you look at John, these are we're all very young kind of rough people in the beginning, sons of thunder, and Paul was going around killing everybody. But you go to the towards the end of their life, they're such kind, mellow, loving people, yet never turning left or right from the truth. See, you by loving and kind doesn't mean you have to learn to the left. You can stand there absolutely constant in what you believe and be loving without turning. Without turning. That's the whole thing that is happening over there. So the question is, there is a covenant that is at Gilgal. Okay, a cutting away. There is a cutting away. There is a covenant God makes with their forefather Abraham in Genesis 15. There is a mark of covenant that takes place in Genesis 17. There are terms of that covenant made in Deuteronomy 28. And there are the blessings of that covenant and the curses. So there is a covenant, there is a mark, there are the terms, and there are the blessings. Okay. But it all begins, we saw yesterday in 1 Corinthians 11, 25, God entered in with us. This is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it as a remorse. That's our primary. See, baptism is only once. But this is our memorial. It's our memorial. You know, once a month. Some churches, every Sunday, they do it. It's a memorial. This is where we come back. We are a people of a covenant. We are a people of a covenant. For them, the mark of the covenant was circumcision. For us, the mark of the covenant is this. We are a blood-redeemed, blood-marked people. We are marked by the blood of Jesus. If he was willing to shed his blood for me, 
I am willing to lay down my life for him. This is the covenant I am entering into. For they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, his covenant, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. This is our covenant we are entering. So there is a covenant, there is a mark of covenant, that is our inside, our heart is constantly being given over to flint knives to be to be consecrated over to God. So when terrible things like what happens in the persecuted church, you have to see their reaction. It stuns me. And these are not old people. These are 20-year-old girls and 13-year-old girls and all how they react. And I constantly tell them, be very careful about your reaction. Not the persecution you go through. That is irrelevant if your reaction is wrong. It is a waste. When persecution comes because of righteousness sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad and consider it's an honor that you have been privileged to bear upon your body the marks of Christ. Be very careful how you react. Pain in the body and joy in the soul are absolutely two distinct things. You will hurt in your body, but in your soul, your reaction is, I have been counted worthy to bear the marks of Christ on my body. Your reactions, because we are covenanted people. We have entered into a covenant with him. When we drank that and took that, we entered into that covenant. His body was broken, hung on the cross for us. Can I Ask anything less from God. No, I don't want to be touched. I don't want to be hurt. You got hurt. That is fine for me. I don't can't be. I said, no, Lord. As a soldier, I lay my body, my soul. So there are two kinds of people in the world. Both are soldiers. One is the people in the persecuted churches whose bodies are maimed for his kingdom. And there are others in the non-persecuted churches whose souls are being constantly being this thing because they are together. They are not separate. So our bodies may not be touched because we have much more better laws and better governments here. But if your soul is untouched, you cannot be part of his army. You cannot be part of his army. God gives them, their soul is untouched, but their bodies are. He keeps our bodies untouched, but our souls should feel their pain. That's what Hebrews 13, your song about being chained to the persecuted ones. We are chained with them. And this is the covenant. This is where we go through. Okay, so do I have a circumcised heart? Okay, circumc Hebrews 13.2 or 13.3, I think, yeah? Okay, so remember this. These things are fundamental. Otherwise, you know, like I said, we are not, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourself are in the body also. So in that camp, most Israelites have disappeared into holes and thickets and dens. 600 are sitting under the tree. Only one man felt. Who is that man? Jonathan. He felt. And he's looking for something. And his armor bearer said, Sir, where you go? I am with you, Prince. I'm one with you. You risk your life. I risk your life with you. So two people. And when those two people stepped out, things started changing. And every movement in the world in the past so many thousand years, was because one man or two people took a stand. God waited 120 years because one man took a stand. He said, in this corrupt generation, I will walk before God. So God spoke to him and said, prepare an ark for the saving of your family. As simple as that, one man. And God made a covenant with him. Another man, father is an idol worshipper, grandfather is an idol worshipper, God 
spoke to him because that boy was asking questions, refused to be an idol worshiper. So God says, leave and go to a land I will show you and I will give the land to your descendants. So there was one man called Abraham, another man called Isaac, another man called Jacob, another man called Joseph. So God sent a man to Egypt. God needs a man to send. If there is no man to send, who will he send? Ultimately, for the salvation of mankind, God looked and he said, he found no man who can do his work. So his right hand, which is Jesus Christ, he said, you go stand in the breach. This is how it works. But we are all looking into mirrors, seeing our own faces, and we are fascinated by our faces. And the time is passing by. Passing by. But where does it all happen? It all begins in the prayer closet. That's the picture we are talking about. That's the picture over here. Okay, They were separated. Circumcision is the mark of a set of people who are separated for the glory of God. And circumcision, that is the inward one, is the proof. What is its proof? Final word for today. Or final two words. Deuteronomy 10.16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no more. What is the proof you are not stiff-necked? You know what God says about stiff-necked? The only thing God will do with the stiff-necked is finally break the neck. Stiff-necked means, see, when you have a stiff neck, it's a medical term, you can move your neck. When you don't have a stiff neck, you can move maximum. When you have a neck crawl, the first thing the doctor will say, or if he has a don't move, he says, you may aggravate your injury. How far can you move? Stiff-necked people means they cannot be moved by God. Therefore, they cannot be used by God. The circumcision of your heart takes the stiff-neckedness away. You know what the forefathers, God said? You were a stiff-necked people. You are a stiff-necked people. A lot of today's young people, not spiritually, but in physical reality, they have stiff necks because they are in front of the system all the time. That's where they get. This In one direction only, they are looking. And that's where they get their stiff neck. That's why we keep telling people, no, keep moving around, keep moving and stand up, move your laptop here and there, otherwise you'll get a stiff neck. Because you're only looking in, in you only have tunnel vision. A lot of people in the kingdom of God are stiff-necked because they have tunnel vision. What is in it for me? What's in it for me? There's nothing in for me. I'm not interested in anything in for me, anything. That's what I said. You cannot serve God and gain. Mammon means gain. You cannot. Don't even try it. It's not possible. Final words for today. Final two verses. 5.9, Joshua 5.9, and then 1 John 2.28. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day. Okay, there are many days, okay? Sanctify yourselves because tomorrow God will do wonderful, great things among you. Then there is a day called today, this day. This day, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this. Gilgal means rolled away. There will be a day in your life when, when you look back into your past, there is no shame, there is no fear, there is no reproach, there is nothing because you will know inside Egypt has been taken away. There is no more world anymore. 
So what the world says doesn't bother you anymore. That's the day. That's the day God says, I have rolled it away. That's the day I have rolled it away. That's the day it rolled away. And that is only the beginning of the journey. <laughs> that is not the end of the journey. That is the beginning of the journey for the overcomer. Second Kings chapter 2 verse 1. Second Kings chapter 2 verse 1. And it came to pass when Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from 18 years. This man has been following this old man. Cranky old man he is, Elijah. You know him, no? Elijah, what it is. 18 years. You don't know anything, Elisha. Elisha's 18 years of life following Elijah is described in one line. Man who poured water on Elijah's hands. 18 years. But he has come to that point where there is nothing left. You don't realize Elijah's being taken away in the whirlwind is conditional on the circumcision of Elisha's heart. We don't realize. Elijah's taking away is connected with Elisha's circumcision of his heart. The day Elisha is, the reproach has completely been rolled away. When Elisha is completely cut away from this world, totally consecrated to God, God can take his mentor off and he can stand in his place. Till then he's not ready. And that day comes. Where are they starting the journey from? From Gilgal. The journey to the double portion. But every other place there are prophets of God. They have wisdom. They say your husband, your master is going to take be taken away, blah, blah, blah. They all have gifts and everything. He says, shut your mouth. I don't want to hear any of this. He asked the Lord. Elisha also, Elijah also tells, why do you want to come with me? Stay here. He says, no, my soul will fall after you. But he doesn't ask him till today, why are you following me? What do you want? Until they cross Jordan. Jordan comes there also. Once they, he takes his mantle, splits the river, crosses over, Elisha alone cross over. Others are all far away watching. Nobody crosses. See, everybody wants gifts. They don't want authentic power. Gift is also a form of power, but it is not power. Everybody wants gifts of the Holy Spirit. Nobody wants authentic power which God cannot give to a person until he has started his journey from Gilgal and crossed the river. It's a reverse person. Here they crossed Jordan and came to Gilgal. For Elisha, he is starting from Gilgal and crossing Jordan. Once they cross Jordan, the waters close. Elijah asked him, what do you want? What do you want? He says, I want a double portion of the spirit that is upon you. That is what I want. What is that you want this morning? What do you want? Pickle in the jar? What do you want? Because this is a God. See, when Solomon got appeared him in a dream and he was a young man and asked him, what do you want? Ask anything you want. What happens tonight you get a dream and God asks you, what do you want? And he says, Lord, give me one week. I didn't even think about this question. What do you want? 
But God, we have to ask a question. Ask me, what do you want? What did you ask? What were you after? From the day you got baptized till today, do you know what you are after? Has your, has your dreams changed? It changes, right? Okay. At the age of five, I was five years old when I first came to India. I was five years old. Came to the railway station and I saw my first steam engine and I wanted to be an engine driver. I told my father, I want to be an engine driver. But as you grow up, you don't want to be an engine driver. Not that being an engine driver is a bad thing. But I'm saying your dreams change. Then as you come into the kingdom of God, as you progress in the kingdom of God, I don't know how Elijah started his journey. Elisha started his journey on that he was. After three and a half years, the rains have come. Ah, this smelling good. My desh ki dharti ugle ugle na. Moti, hire moti. He's singing that old Hindi song. Twelve yoke of oxen and he's going. And then comes an old man. Puts a mantle upon him. He understands. Your entire dream is changed in one minute. Everything has changed. You're thinking about harvest. You're thinking about plenty. You're thinking about getting married. You're thinking about getting settled. And then man comes and puts an old coat on you and he knew what it means. He said, can I say bye to my God, my father and mother? He says, if you have to say bye to your father and mother, what do I have to do with you? Because we know the history. Father stopped Abraham for so many years. These people who say father and mother cannot follow me. He said, he said, okay, okay, wait a minute, kill the oxen, burned his bridges and followed. Now, 18 years later, it is written and it came to pass. A time has come. A time has come. A time has come. The people who led you will no longer be in your life. A time will come when Moses will be gone. He's gone up the mountain. He never came down. What will you do? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now arise and cross over. Elijah, whom you followed, washed his hands, cooked his food, washed his clothes. That was very easy. He's gone. He's going. What do you want? Do you know what you want? Do we know what we want? So this morning, Continuing from yesterday, there is a life Jesus has come to bring. But it is called resurrection life. Do you know what Paul said? I want to know first the power of his resurrection and then conform to his death. He says, first, I realize this. It's an incredible portion in the book of Philippians chapter. Powerful. See, you have to write, when you start understanding scripture, like, I am the resurrection and the life. That's not what we thought. We thought you are the life and the resurrection. I have life, I die, you raised me up. He said, no, that's not what I said. (laughs) I said, I am the resurrection and the life. Only dead people will experience my life. If you are alive, you experience your life. That is a worldly life. Paul comes and gives a deeper insight into it. Okay? No. Verse 10, yeah. Put just 10 alone. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, you know what? This is a powerful, powerful 
insight from Paul. He says, I understand in principle, you are the resurrection and the life. The problem is, if you are the resurrection, I have to die. But I don't know how to die. To die, I need your power. That's what he's saying. I want to know the power of your resurrection, that power. Holy Spirit, he's saying, would you kill me each day? Would you? I don't know how to die. Because all I have learned in, in this world is how to live. I have never learned to die. I have only learned to live. Every day choices are being how to live, how to live, how to live. And you are coming and says, another life is offered. It's a powerful life, but it's only offered to those who are dead. But Lord, I don't know how to die. So I need your resurrection power first to die. But in that death, there is suffering. I want to have that fellowship of your sufferings and conform to your death. The death you died every day when you walked on, your, on the earth. Then only I can experience your life little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit each day. Because none of us can handle the fullness of his life. We will collapse under the weight of it. We have to die little bit, little bit daily by the power of his resurrection. This is what Jesus has come to offer. You have no answer to that life. The devil has no answer to that life. The world has no answer to the life. And the kingdom of God is built by people who choose that life. So that's the question God is asking today. What do you want? What do you want? Elijah asked the question, what do you want? Understand principles. Go to your prayer closet. One on with God. Do it consistently. You don't realize when you do it consistently, in the spiritual realm, there are flint knives, not metal knives. Not silver knives, not iron knives, not steel knives, flint knives by which God is circumcising your heart. One day you will wake up in the morning and you will realize, you know what? I really love God. I really love God. I really love God. You know what? I'm willing to follow him wherever he takes he will do that work. That's what God promised Israel in Deuteronomy 36. You know, my spirit, he will. Our job is to put ourselves on the altar. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love. I can't do that. You can't do that. He has to do that. And that's what Paul is saying. No, the power of his resurrection I want first. Do it and see what will happen to your lives in your own generation. You will be a marker in your generation, a person whom God used to change your generation. And God is all, that's what the Bible says, highest of the Lord, Rome 2 and 4, looking for one person whose heart is stayed on him. That's a loyal, absolutely stayed on him. It's a roaming 2 and 4. Is there anybody? Is there anybody? Is there anybody? Throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That's all he's looking for. It all begins with the heart and ultimately ends with the heart. So we shall pray. Let's have Peter back. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving.
I'll be a living sanctuary for you, Lord. Prepare me, Lord. Prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with hands giving. I'll be a living sanctuary for. Oh Lord, prepare me, Lord, prepare me. Sanctuary, oh pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. I'll be a Sanctuary for you. This morning, let that be our prayer, daily prayer, Lord. That's all I can be. Surrender myself to be your sanctuary. Whether you are a young child. An older person. You know, there have been incredible young children in the Bible. Young children in the Bible who brought change in older people's lives. Little Samuel who prophesied to Eli. The little girl in Damascus who told Naman, there's a way out for your terrible situation. There was a young boy when Samson was blinded and he was brought out. It was a young boy who led Samson and showed him where the pillars was. The man is anointed, but he is blind. And he needed a young guy, young child, to guide his hands to the pillar so that the Bible says on that day, Samson killed more Philistines than in his entire life. But even that would not have happened if there wasn't a young boy to guide his hands. So get these pictures. Your age is irrelevant. Come, else. Your age is irrelevant. Your age is irrelevant. All God needs, will you be a vessel? Will you be a vessel? Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. All we can do is come and surrender daily. You are faithful to give us our daily bread. Often we are unfaithful to consecrate ourselves daily so that you can prepare us. The preparation is spiritual. It happens in the realm which we don't even realize. But one day you will declare to Elisha this day Elijah is being taken and Elisha is ready. When Elisha did not know he was ready, but God knew. God knows each one of us when we are ready. He will tell us. All we have to do and keep on doing 
is to consecrate ourselves and allow that heavenly flint knives circumcise the foreskins of our heart. Little by little, our big chunks of the world and flesh cut away that our attachments truly from heaven and of heaven that God can trust us to stand in the gap stand in the middle of the river holding the presence of God on our shoulders until the last one marked in our names have crossed over then he will tell us you can step down come up When a people cross over, the hearts of the heaven, demonic hosts will melt away in fear. For the Bible it is written, when John's head was cut off, the one who came out of the wilderness preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is here. When his head was cut off, the Bible says, Jesus stepped up and said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. And when he was crucified on the cross and buried in the world, they had got rid of him. Fifty days later, 120 stepped forward and said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. God will always have a voice. Until the day of the coming of his son, he will have voices which will stand in the gap, irrespective of the cost declaring the message of the kingdom and the king. So this morning, night, surrender yourself. And those of you who are going through the rigors, count it all joy. Brethren, that's what the Spirit of God says through Apostle James, count it all joy, brethren. Where we go through diverse trials, count it joy. For it is for the king and the kingdom. In heaven, you will bear the marks of Christ. It will be your trophy. Touch, Lord, today. We believe a new phase has begun starting yesterday. It was the beginning of the months for us. Your resurrection. Yes, 31st night we had a promise there was a beginning. But yesterday was a different beginning. An overcoming life of God is being promised to all who believe. And I pray, Father, People take hold of that promise and surrender. For you are the resurrection and the life to those who are willing to die to their own selves and come alive for Christ and Christ alone. I believe in eternity many will mark that day, April the 9th, the year of the Lord 2023 the day that changed my life forever. That's the day I realized 
I have to die to love. And I put myself on the altar and said, Lord, here I am. Kill me and make me alive. I'm yours. I'm here prostrate on the altar. I'm yours. You can do what you want with me. I take my hands of my own life, Lord. I'm yours. Keep me on the shelf. Use me on the streets. It's your call. Keep me hidden in the closet. Put me out in the public. It's your call. I'm yours. Give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise, and we declare in your house as your people. Thine is the kingdom, power and the glory forever and ever. God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.